turn in your Bible, please, to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. We'll be studying a portion of that chapter tonight. But I want to speak this morning on the first section of Malachi chapter 3. Behold, he shall come. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for the wonderful music today in the service. And for everybody who has come into the presence of the Lord. Some have come with hearts that are very, very moved, hurt, sorrowful, burdened. Some have lost dear, precious loved ones. They're in tune with this service this morning. Some have gone through valleys of depression. Some have felt the sting of loneliness. Some feel an awful guilt in their hearts. And there are still others who are filled with joy and rejoicing. We pray that the Holy Spirit will bring to the attention of everybody here something that can help meet a need. And those who are without Christ, may they come to Jesus today. We pray in His dear, precious name. Amen. Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit like a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them like gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Behold, he shall come. Isaiah had predicted the 70 years captivity and the return of Judah to the homeland. The Jews went into captivity because of their sins. One of the chief sins, they had desecrated the Sabbath day. And they had done that for a long time. And so the Lord gave them 70 Sabbath years in captivity. 70 years because of sin. America has never known anything like that. The closest we've ever known this was the Civil War period, and we read about that in history. Most of us do not remember firsthand even our grandparents telling about the times when their families were divided and some fought on the side of the North and some on the side of the South. I do recall my grandparents saying something about that and how when they came through Henry County, they took their horses and families were divided and the home they lived in, which is now burned to the ground, was confiscated for the Union soldiers. But we know very little about captivity 
The Jews have known about it all through their years. They have been like a persecuted, hunted people all across our world. We would not take sides between the Jewish position and the Arab position. They're both descendants of Abraham. And God promised that both of them would be great nation. However, in our present circumstance, there are a hundred million Arabs. And they possess Lebanon and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and all those nations. And there are about three or four million Jews compressed into that little tiny land that we call Israel. And we need to have an understanding heart as to why they feel like they do when we hear from the media and the news analysis all sarcastically critical of the strong stand that Israel is trying to take in defending their little nation. Daniel was preaching in Babylon when Babylon fell to Cyprus. The puppet Mede Darius took over that ancient kingdom of the Persians, which is now called Iran. And in 536, the remnant was permitted to return, and 50,000 Jews came home. You think of 50,000 Jews, that's about the size of Bowling Green, population of Bowling Green. So that isn't a huge number. When you consider cities like New York, with its 13 millions of people, or Greater Tokyo with over 20 millions of people. 50,000 Jews came back to their homeland. Haggai and Zechariah had preached to the remnant in Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt. 60 years later, in the year 457 B.C., Ezra had come from Babylon to Jerusalem to help reestablish the nation. 13 years later, in the year 444, B.C., Nehemiah came to rebuild the wall. And by the time of Malachi, and even though he was a contemporary of Nehemiah, possibly even Ezra, he was a contemporary of Socrates, by the time of Malachi, the times were prosperous. The people were neglecting the house of God. The priests had become lax and degenerate. They were professionals. They did not have their heart in the preaching of the Word or in getting the people in touch with God. It was all just sort of a, a game to them. Reminds one of today. Let me just give you this side. I'm not chasing rabbits this morning, but let me say this. It's on my heart constantly. You are so gracious to have given me the use of that beautiful car. And you do not know how the emotions of my heart cry out in thanksgiving to God for you. And yet the embarrassment also. Lest anybody should ever think that I'm a mere professional. And the preacher drives a nice car. And he doesn't have any heart for people. Oh God grant that that shall never be true. But we live in a day. When so many times those who are leaders of religion 
are mere professionals. And they want more and more and more and more and more. And they'll grab it through television programs and every other way. God forgive. And that's the way it was in the time of Malachi. The priests had become lax, degenerate. Sacrifices were inferior. There was no strong preaching of the word. And when a man sinned in the Old Testament day, he was to bring a, an animal without blemish, without spot, the best he had, and offer it to God. And the priest was to kill it and offer a blood sacrifice. But what had occurred, there was no strong preaching of the word, and the priests were lax and degenerate. And the people become like the priests. And instead of bringing to God their best, they'd find a sick lamb over there. And they'd say, well, I have to offer something to God, so I'll take this lamb. It won't make any difference. I won't lose anything if I take him. So they offered a sick lamb. They took an animal that was about ready to die, and they'd bring that and offer it. God said, you have wearied me with your words. You have wearied me with your professionalism. With your lack of heart. The tithes were neglected. The scripture says, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. And the people said, well, God will understand. I have so many other bills. I'll just take my own bills and pay those first. And if there's anything left over, I'll give that to God. And God said, I can't play second fiddle in your life. I've got to be first. And my friend, there is no way a man or a woman or a boy or a girl could ever honor God by giving to God the leftovers or the second bests. I rejoice when I see an old person come to Jesus. And I've, we've seen a number of them. One that always blesses my heart is to think of that dear Nettie Williams came to Jesus when she was 83. Lived for the Lord one year. Left a brilliant testimony behind her. And I think of others that have come in this church and we've seen them go into the baptistry in wheelchairs and, and on, on walkers and so on. Giving their lives to God and receiving from Him forgiveness and cleansing in heaven. And after a little while, they go out into the great eternity. God bless them. Thank God for that. Isn't it precious when a little child comes to Jesus? Has a whole life to give the Lord. He comes and says, Lord, here I am. And somebody says, well, he probably doesn't understand what he's doing. Burl was saved when he was 27, he told us a while ago. Tom said he was 15. James, how old were you, James? Nine? When he was nine. I was nine when I was saved. And isn't it good when somebody comes and has a whole lifetime to give to Jesus? That's the reason we have a children's ministry. That's the reason we have bus ministry. To bring kids who wouldn't get to Jesus any other way. God be thanked. Well, they were giving to God the inferiors and leftovers. Divorce was common. Intermarriage with unbelievers had become prevalent. And still they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. 
In chapter 2, verse, one, verse 17, at the very end, where is the God of justice? Where is He? Isaiah preached about Him. Jeremiah preached about Him. Samuel preached about Him. Elijah preached about Him. Moses preached about Him. Where is He? They said, when we get back to our homeland, He will appear. We've been back 50 years. Where is He? And they were discouraged. Where is the promise of His coming? Oh, friend, it's just like it is today. In the heat of revival, when the man of God, anointed with the message of God, preaches the word and people's hearts are stirred and there's a great testimony time and folks come and share what Christ means and there's the fire and the power of revival. People are caught up and they want to live a godly life and serve the Lord looking for His coming any moment. And then we settle down to business as usual. We forget the sharp cutting edge of the Word. And we say, well, it's been a long time since Jesus said He would come. Where is He? He may not come in our lifetime. We'll just go on and live like, like it should be lived. And we become lackadaisical. The greatest motivation to godly living that I know about is the second coming of Jesus. The greatest motivation to soul winning that I know about is the second coming of Jesus. He is coming any moment. And God has exercised my heart greatly in these last years about that. When I first graduated from seminary, I didn't have that burden on my heart. But it's on my heart today. The coming of our Lord. He is coming any moment, any day. And oh, how God wants us to be ready. And that was the burden of Malachi. He's coming. Behold, he is coming. And he said, I, I will send my messenger before me. And he shall prepare the way. Now he's coming in for two purposes. I guess three, but let me just give you two this morning. I'll reserve the third one for another time. He's coming in judgment. And he's coming in refinement. Would you look in verse 5? And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the sojourner from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, Malachi said, he is coming. And you've been wanting him to come, but you probably won't be so glad when he comes because here's what he's coming to do. He's coming in judgment. And we need to be aware of that today. When our Lord comes the second time, he comes in judgment. Now there are many spiritual comings of the Lord. And I want to hasten to say that. The Lord comes at death. And when we come near to death, we're aware that the Lord is sending His angel after us and we'll soon be with Him. Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of the righteous. And some of you in this room have stood by a loved one in recent days and seen a precious loved one taken in death. The Lord came. He came to take your loved one home. 
I shall never forget that day in the hospital when I've told you this before but it comes to my mind to tell it again I went I was in the hall in the hospital before the intensive care was moved it was where it used to be in Greenview and a nurse came out and said would you come in there's a lady that is dying and she wants to talk to a preacher I went to the door and before I could get in her children were outside and they said well our mother's out of her mind maybe you could go in there and help her a little bit but she's she's out of her mind and she doesn't know what she's saying and, and uh, she's trying to tell us something and we don't understand what she's trying to tell us maybe you could help I went in and stood by that dear lady I told her who I was and, oh she said you're a preacher I said yes she said well maybe you'll understand she said I've been telling them I'm going home they think I'm talking about going to the house I used to live in here but I've been telling them I'm going home and I want them to come and be home with me she said could you explain what I'm talking about and so I explained it to her first to be sure I was understanding I said you're talking about going to heaven you're talking about you're saved and you know Jesus and soon you'll be with him that's what you're saying is that right she said that's what I'm saying tell my folks that and I went out in the hall I said to them your mother's not out of her mind she knows just what she's saying she's going home to heaven and she wants you to be ready to go too now Jesus comes in death he's coming he's coming if he does not come in the air first then all of us will meet him at death those who are saved will be taken to be with the Lord to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord those who are lost those who have rejected Christ have never been saved will be forever lost in an awful place Jesus called hell tragic terrible where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched and there's never 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 another chance and then from time to time Jesus comes to us in life in some crisis time he comes to teach us a lesson where are the fiery trials that come to us Peter and James both said don't be surprised when those fiery trials come blessed is the man that endureth the trial for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life Jesus comes to us in trials I'm sure that this past week some of you have met some trials you could have either gotten bitter and say why should I have to go through this or you can look up and say Lord I don't know what you're trying to teach me but I want to learn I'm learning to lean on Jesus those trials come and they come to try to teach us to lean not into our own understanding but to lean upon him he said I will never leave you nor forsake you I'll be with you all the way and then Jesus comes to us in the form of other people where there are needs Jesus said inasmuch as you've done to one of the least of these my brethren you've done it unto me you read the poem about the lady who who heard that the master was coming and so she garnished her house and cleaned it up and got everything ready and sat down waiting for the master to come 
And uh, somebody came knocking on the door and it was an old beggar. She went to the door and she said, I don't have time for you today. I don't have time for you. The master is coming. Go. After a while, a little child came and he was crying. And that woman said, I don't have time for you. The master is coming. Don't come in and dirty my house today. And after a while, an old man who had lost his wife came and just wanted to talk a minute. She said, I don't have time for you today. You go. The master is coming. She waited and she waited and she waited and she waited. And at the end of the day, the shadows all closed in and she sat alone. And she went into sleep. And in the sleep, she had a vision. The master came. And she said, oh, I've been looking for you all day. Why did you wait till night to come? And the master said, I came to you three times today. But you didn't have time. You see, he comes in the crisis times. He comes at death. He comes in the form of other people who have needs. And Jesus said, Inasmuch as you have done unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. But this Bible says he's coming. He's coming in power and great glory. And when he comes, he's coming in judgment. He's coming in judgment. The New Testament warns us in 1 John 2, 28, that we're to watch the way we live so that we'll not be ashamed before him at his coming. He says, I'm coming. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers. Don't go to fortune tellers. Man. Don't go to palm readers. And I know you can get the newspaper and read in the privacy of your home and nobody but God will ever know and you read all this astrology and you try to figure out what you're going to do by the signs of the zodiac and all that thing. God says, I'm going to come in judgment on the sorcerers. These madams around town that have their signs out, don't go over there. God doesn't want you to do that. I can tell your fortune if you want me to. You come up here and let me read your palm and I'll tell you, well, this line, it doesn't go on forever. It means that you're going to die one day. You're going to have to face God. I'll tell you what your palm reads. That's what God says. I'm going to be in judgment against the adulterers. Keep your eyes at home. I'm going to be in judgment against the false swearers, the liars. People have come to a point in life where they can't tell the truth from, from falsity. I'm going, to be in false, I'm going to be in judgment against those who oppress the hireling in his wages, not giving fair wages. I discussed this one time a few weeks ago. It's a terrible thing if you can afford to pay more and you don't. I don't think God ever planned for a rich man making him $1,000 a week to hire somebody and give him $30 a week. Now on the other hand, I don't believe it's God's will for us to be always hankering after more money. I'm making $12 an hour, so I'm going to go on strike to make $15 an hour. You see, the judgment of God is in righteousness. 
And the Word of God does speak to these things that we face today. He said, I'm coming in judgment on these things. I'm coming in judgment on the widow, on those who oppress the widow and the fatherless. These schemes that would exact from the poor when they don't have anybody to help them. God's going to bring judgment. There's an evening up time coming. There's a day coming when God will sit in judgment. Truth will not forever be on the scaffold and wrong on the throne. God's coming to expose it all one day. And the thing what he wants us to do right now is to repent and get our hearts ready. And those that turn aside the sojourner from the right, from his right, take advantage of people because they don't know any better. Lots of folks doing that. Just take advantage of people because they don't know any better. And they fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. God's going to bring judgment because we do not fear the Lord. How much fear of God is there in our hearts today? Now to, be, to have the fear of God does not mean to be scared of God. Run when it lightnings or run when it thunders. There's some people who have a built-in fear of storms. I understand that. My heart goes out to you. Somehow I, I was never trained that way. And uh, when the storms, I, I don't particularly like the rain. I like the snowstorms. When the storms, I like to look up and say, look what God is doing. God is in charge of this universe. Uh, to, to have the fear of God doesn't mean to be scared of God's power. It means to have a holy reverence toward God. It means to say, Lord, you're in charge. And I want your will done in my life. To have the fear of God means to repent of sin. To have the fear of God means to come and yield our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to say, Christ, come into my life. Take over the heartstrings of my life. And then, he's coming in refinement. Look at verse 2 and 3. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit like a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them like gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, the Lord is a purifier. When he comes, he's coming in the fire of judgment. In the book of Deuteronomy and in Hebrews, we read our God is a consuming fire. Fire destroys. That's the reason we have firemen to go out and stop the destruction of the fire. Fire destroys. That's one thing it does. And God will come in fiery judgment to destroy the works of unrighteousness. But fire does something else. Fire purifies. Fire purges. You take a piece of steel and you put it in fire. And you heat that fire and heat it and heat it and heat it. That steel becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Why have you gone through some of the trials you've gone through? Is it possible God wants to make you strong? 
He's teaching us to learn to lean. No affliction that comes, we don't like it at the time. And we think, oh God, if I could just be delivered from this awful thing that's come into my life. But if we'll go through it, and we'll look up, we'll say, Lord, I'm not going to accuse you falsely. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to trust you. Then after a while, God will begin to reveal to you what he's doing. You're going to come out of the furnace of fire stronger. Stronger than you ever were before. And in his coming, in his coming, in his glorious coming, he's going to explain some of the trials that you've gone through. And he's a purifier of silver. He is a refiner. My time is up for this section, but let me close by just asking you, would you open your heart to Christ? And let Jesus come in. Let him be your Savior and your Lord and your refiner. And then one day when you meet him at the judgment bar, here's what will happen. You will say, Lord, you judged all of my sins when you died on the cross. All of my sins were judged at that time. And I want to thank you for forgiving me for the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And He'll do that for you today. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll save you. He'll write your name in heaven. And when you come down to the depot of death, He'll take you safely across and place you in God's hand forever and forever. And when all the hosts of hell try to point their finger at you and say, look at those sins, look at all those sins of your life, you'll be able to stand on Zion's hill and say, the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed me from all of this. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truths of the Word of God revealed in this chapter. We thank you for everybody who has come to God's house to just sing and rejoice and pray and just say, Lord, we fear you, we honor you. We pray that in this next moment somebody would come and say, by the grace of God, I want to take my stand for Christ. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and begin a walk toward heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. Number 252, Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Would you come to Him today just as you are? Would you? I want to meet you down front. I'm going to be standing here waiting for you to come and say, I want to put my faith in the Lord Christ. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want to repent of all my sins. I want my life to be covered by the blood of Christ. And I'm going to take my stand today for Jesus. We do that. Maybe you're a member of some other church and God wants you to come to Glendale. Would you come? Maybe there's some recommitment of your life that ought to be made. Would you do that today? While we begin to sing, who will come for Christ right now?